Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. You know, one day when we're standing in the presence of God, He's not going to ask you what church you went to. He's not going to ask you what denomination you belong to. He's going, God's going to ask you, who did you trust? And He said, I sent my Son to you that you might know that you can be saved. That you would know the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, I want to open my, my message this morning by asking a simple question. Are you ready, if Jesus were to come today for his church, are you ready to meet him in the air? There is not one prophecy of the Bible that needs to come true today before the rapture can happen. Think about that. There's not one prophecy in the Bible that has to come true today before the rapture happens. So the question then is this, would you be raptured or will you be one of those left behind? You see, if you can't answer that you know for sure that when you die, Jesus Christ is going to return and take you to himself, and that, or if you're alive and remain, you're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. If you don't know that, then this message is for you today. If you think that the rapture is a fig tale or a fairy tale or, or some imaginary thing that somebody thought up, well, then today I hope to show you from God's word that Jesus himself believes in the rapture. Jesus himself understands what's going to happen in the last days, and he knows and tells the audience who these events are really meant for. And when you understand who it's meant for, it begins to unveil for us what, to what degree Jesus would warn those people not to be there, not to go through the time that is called the tribulation. So you might ask, why is it so bad, or what is so bad about being left behind? What's the big deal, Pastor? You already said that the earth is going to exist for a thousand and seven years. So if I miss the rapture, then I can get saved during this time of the tribulation because there's going to be these prophets and these two witnesses and there's going to be all these people talking about Jesus and these signs and wonders and all these things are going to take place. So I'll just believe then. The problem is you won't. The Bible te teaches that your heart and your conscience will be seared. If you sear a steak, what do you do? You lock inside the juices, don't you? You trap inside the steak, the, 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 the meat, and, and you really want it to, to, to keep the juices inside and things. And if your heart and conscience is seared towards God, then who's going to run your life? Five weeks ago, we began this series and on the second coming of Christ, and we began with the events of Matthew 24, and uh, talking about the rapture. Remember, we took all the, the signs, the wars and, and pestilence and all this. And I shared with you that, well, these are all signs during the, during the tribulation. And now I want to come back six weeks later and I want us to, to look at this passage of scripture again. And this time we're going to build out this time of the tribulation because if we as Christians understand the mission of why we're left here, you ever wonder why it is that the second you got saved, God didn't take you to heaven? You ever wonder that? If the whole goal is simply to go to heaven for a Christian, why not then let God just take you home the second you got saved? Why even play the game of life? What, what is the point of the game? 
I mean, to live, to, to, to get a bunch of money, to die only so that I can hand it off to other people? I mean, we see auctions, we see uh, obituaries every week of people who didn't take anything with them. They left it all behind. Why? I mean, if the whole point of life is to win, to get the most money, the most prizes, the most possessions that you can get in this world, well, then the song we just sung at the end here really means nothing. Because he who dies with the most toys, what? Still dies. He doesn't win. What did he win? Death? We all get that. So what's the point of even living the life then? Or is there something more to life than living and dying? Is there someone in your life that would transform you into giving you purpose in life? And we use this word, and this word is something our world desperately is looking for today. Hope. What is hope today to the perishing? Another day, another day of work, another day of retirement, another check that comes from the government in retirement, from Social Security, another birthday, another thing. There's no end. It's despair. Remember what Solomon said? Vanity, vanity, all is... Was he kind of wealthy? Do you have a couple brides? He had fame, female, and finances. He had all of it. He says, vanity. All is vanity. By the way, is that Old Testament or New Testament? That's old, so it didn't get any better. After Solomon, it didn't improve. So Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse is going to share with us the hope. He's going to give to every Christian the hope of living. Because everybody alive today on the planet, if Jesus is not returned, will die. And one moment after death, you will be in one of two places, heaven or hell. And for some, it's a game and a fairy tale, and religion is a thing and, and all this. But to God, it's, it's spiritual eternity. You're either going to die in a place and live in a place uh, where it's called the second death or you're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth for all of eternity with Jesus Christ. These are the two options. There are no others. And everything between now and those moments is for a purpose. The church exists today for a purpose. The purpose of the church is to tell the world the gospel because what people group refused to accept their Messiah? The Jews. The gospel originally was to go into all the world through what people group? And when Jesus Christ came, who did they kill? The Jews killed Jesus. The problem with that is what? In a way, we all killed him. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Yes, you were. For the wage of sin is, for all have and come short of the glory of God. So your sin put Jesus on the cross. You were represented in man when Jesus was crucified. So in a way, yeah, we, we were there when they crucified our Lord. But guess what? He didn't stay crucified. He didn't stay on a cross. He was taken off the cross, put in a grave, and three days later, what happens? He rises again. Who rose him? He rose himself. 
Lazarus needed somebody to resurrect him. Jairus' daughter needed somebody to resurrect him. Who resurrected Jesus? Jesus did. You know why? Because he is the resurrection and the... And no one can come to the Father except through him. And when the Jews rejected their Messiah, God chose to use a different people group to evangelize the world and take as many to heaven as could possibly go. And the commission was given to who? The Gentiles in the church. And the Jews are set aside for a period of time and they lost their land, they lost their nationality, they lost their language, they lost their military until 1948. The end of World War II and Britain, the British Empire begins to dissolve and give the land back to the people groups. And when they had the opportunity to give the land to Palestinians, they chose to give the land to 650,000 people. Do you know who that is? The Jews. And the Jews were allowed to pick their name and they chose the name what? Israel. And the landmass in which they got was originally called what? Israel. The promised land. Consisted of a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And they know this land very well. So what comes after the rapture on the timeline of the events? Well, according to the Olivet Discourse, we're going to find that out. That's the whole idea of what this is. There's hope in the fact that the church today holds the keys to warning the generations that exist today and future generations that we exist for the purpose of warning them, don't go into this time. Remember, Jesus compared it to the days of Noah. What did Noah do for 120 years? He warned the people group alive at the time not to go into a period called the what? the flood remember he said it's gonna rain and they're like (laughs) what's rain the whole world's gonna be covered with water (laughs) when's that ever happened noah meanwhile he's building this big what ark who's helping him build it who's helping him build it The unbelievers. The unbelievers are helping. You think Noah and his family built the ark all by themselves? As he's preaching and teaching destruction, do you think he hired them? Do you think he worked alongside? Who did he share the message with if they weren't working with him? Think about it. And yet those who worked alongside Noah still did not believe. You know what that tells me? Even in the church today, there are people probably sitting in this room right now who don't believe that that what we're talking about today is going to happen. I'm not so naive to think that that's not a thing. And you know what? In every church in America and around the world today, there are the skeptics that are sitting there listening to the message. Although they know him as God, they don't glorify him as God. Romans 1 tells us that. So I understand what the message is this morning. I understand the audience of the message, and I understand this. This isn't my message. This is Christ's message. And just like Noah preached Christ's message to his world, and they rejected it, so too are we in the days of Noah, in which the message is going forth, 
in a way that it's never had before, at a volume and pace it has never gone before with technology, with streaming, with preaching, and with the gospel going into all the world in different translations. And yet I still understand and I still know this to be true. There will be a lot of people who will enter the tribulation who had already heard the message, just like there were those who entered the flood who had already heard the message. Because you know what Jesus used in vernacular? Just like in the days of... So if we study Noah, we know what the end times is going to be like. If we look at his scenario, we understand what the passages teach. So I really think there's, there's two important things for us to understand here at the beginning. First, if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ, my prayer is that you recognize the truth and the one who gave truth and receive him as your savior. That's my prayer. The second one is for believers who we should be warning others and sharing the good news with others and warning people not to go into this time called the tribulation. That is the hope of the church. The, the second coming is called the blessed what? The blessed hope. And the hope is the fact that not that it's going to happen, but the confidence we know it is going to happen. So we know who's sovereignly in control of all things. We know who the creator God is. And we know that he hasn't lied about anything else to this point. Why would he start now? And if we really believe this to be true, then we have an obligation to warn. Just like Noah had an obligation to warn. And who did Noah tell? It's recorded for us in the Bible. He told everybody that it was going to rain. He told everybody that the ship was being built. And by the way, who sealed Noah in the ark? So when it started raining, could they get in? Because Noah didn't seal it. God did. And the day after the tribulation, the hour, the second after the, the, the rapture occurs and the tribulation period begins, who can be saved? You missed the rapture. You missed the rapture. That's it. Things are going to transition from the church to a specific people group that Jesus tells us. And we're going to look at that here in just a second. Let's open with a word of prayer and, and, and then let's dig into this. Father, I, I pray this morning that these words of your, of your word would not return void, but Father, that it would convince and motivate us that what we're about to read is truth. It's your truth given by your son to your church for such a time as this. So Father, help us to do it. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's see what Jesus says in the text here. The disciples are seeing incredible buildings in front of them. The temple, their focus is on the fact that the temple area is going to be destroyed. And the temple is something of strictly importance to one people group. Who cares about the temple of God? The Jews. And here the Jews are hearing the message that they're focal of their religion, their center of existence is going to be destroyed and not one rock is going to be left unturned. So I want us to understand, first of all, Jesus tells us this, the tribulation is a time mainly focused on the nation of Israel. The tribulation is about Israel. It's not about the church. That's why when you hear the mid-trib or post-trib, they, they, they're not reading the, what Jesus actually said. Jesus said in Romans, he tells us in chapter 9, Israel is God's chosen people. In chapter 10, they reject him. He works through the Gentiles. And in chapter 11, there's going to be a time where he brings Israel back and restores Israel in a relationship with him that is proper. And he's going to establish his kingdom through them. Well, let me ask you a question. Has God worked in Israel in the past? Yes. 
Yes. Before the church? Yes. Are we in the church age in the present? That's Romans 9 and Romans 10. So what comes after 10? 11. And what people group does Romans 11 focus on? The Jews. And isn't it just so interesting that Romans chapter 12 kicks off the practical part of the book of Romans? Like how do you live before the coming of Jesus Christ? And how do you treat your brother? And how all the theology stops at chapter 11. Why? Because Israel remains the center focal point of God's will on earth. The Jews were chosen not because they were big, not because they were popular, but because they were small and they were insignificant. And by choosing them, God knew that he could get the glory rather than the people getting the glory. So the tribulation is mainly focused on Israel. Now look at Matthew 24 with me and we'll look at verses 1 through 3 again. Matthew 24, 1 through 3, Then Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out the walls of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, not one will be left on here, not one stone upon another, until it be thrown down. Look at verse 3, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now jump down to verse 15 with me. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand them and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Interesting. Jump down to verse 20. Verse 20, pray that you, your flight might not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For when, then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world even until now. The tribulation mainly focuses on the nation of Israel. Now, I'm not going to have you turn there, but I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Daniel chapter 9. Look at what it says. Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. And here in a few weeks, we may dig into the uh, Daniel prophecy, the 69 weeks and then the 70th week. It says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Doesn't that sound familiar? All those are references to something in the future here. Know therefore and understand. What did, the, what did Matthew tell us? Let the reader understand, okay? So, now, know therefore and understand that the going out of the world to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointing one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and mode, but in a troubled time. So it's kind of veiled language. It's prophecy. It's Daniel. But he's telling us that there are going to be weeks that things are going to happen. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the other end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Sounds like a destruction of something, right? And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until a decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, we don't have time to build this all out, but let me give you the cliff notes, okay? It's telling us that for a period of 69 weeks, there's going to be, 
this nation called Israel. And Israel is going to exist in one form or another. And then at some point, they're going to be what? Cut off. It's going to be desolation in Jerusalem. In AD 70, what do we know happened in Jerusalem? The temple's destroyed. Okay? Marks the end of the 69th week. Destruction of the temple. Jesus Christ is crucified. The prince is cut off. We know that that's the end of the 69th week. Well, we're missing a week. A week is how many days? So Daniel uses the term week and weeks of years. So a period of seven years is what we're talking about. So 69 of them have occurred. One of them hasn't occurred yet. Well, what in future prophecy is tied around the number seven, talking about judgment in Israel and an antichrist and destruction that happens halfway through a seven-year period. And at the end of the seven years, the prince comes again. Anybody heard of something like that? Have you read about that somewhere? How do you know what the tribulation is? Because the Bible teaches it. This is not hard stuff. It's not like somebody has to sit down and really like write a story or a make-believe thing. This is all in the Bible. So there's going to be a period of seven years in which there's going to be pseudo-peace for the first three and a half. And then the abomination of desolation is going to happen at three and a half years in. And then from that three and a half year mark to the last three and a half years, it is going to be absolute chaos and destruction on earth to where all the nations of the world are going to rise up against the capital city called... Imagine that. And then the judgment will happen. Well, will others be alive non-Jews? Yes. But who is the covenant, who is the peace treaty made with? Gentiles or Jews? Jews. Who's the focal point of the tribulation? Gentiles or Jews? Jews. By the way, prior to 1948, what people group didn't exist? And what capital city didn't exist? And the fact that there is a Jerusalem today occupied by Jews tells you what? It's not only probable, but it is fulfilled prophecy in our time. This is a time when God's attention has turned back to fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel. Look at Daniel 9.24. Daniel's people are the Jews. It says this. There remains one week or a seven-year period left to be fulfilled that deals with the Jews. He says in the first 69 weeks or seven-year periods... They've been fulfilled from the signing of the decree of Artaxerxes and Nehemiah to the coming of Jesus in Jerusalem being cut off. That marks the start and the end of 69 weeks. Remember, Nehemiah gets the decree from Artaxerxes to rebuild what? Jerusalem and the temple. And in 69 weeks after the crucifixion of Jesus in AD 70, the temple is destroyed. We have 69 weeks of years completed. 69 times 7. And now there's one week left to go. So this is a time when God's attention is turned back. There remains one week, one seven-year period that's left to be fulfilled where Daniel's people, or for Daniel's people, where God will fulfill his promises and bring salvation to the Jews. 
where they will actually recognize that Jesus is their Messiah and many will receive them as their Savior. And it's a time called the tribulation, a time in which hardship and God's wrath is being poured out. But there are 144,000 what nationality of people that are going to witness and evangelize the world. 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each. How many, what tribe are you from? Why don't we have tribes? We're not Jews. So thus, we're in the church age right now, and the future is being prepared before our eyes right now. Israel is a powerful nation, a powerful military, a powerful government, an existing people on the place of the earth, and today there's 6.7 million Jews. Mind you, in 1948, there were 650,000. There are 6.8 million Jews who occupy and live in Israel today. Fulfillment of prophecy in our own times. This is a time when God's attention is turned back to fulfill his promises on the nation. There remains one week to go. So what events or signs can be expected in the tribulation? Well, the Bible talks about them. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the birth pains. General signs of the tribulation, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 8. He says there'll be wars and rumors of wars, verse 6. Verse 7, there'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes, Matthew 24, 7. There'll be great distress, Matthew 24, 21. During this time, the rapture of the rapture, people see this. Number one, the rise of the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26, it simply says, and the people of the prince who has come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and, and the end shall come with a flood and to there there shall be war and desolations are decreed and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half a week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and the offering. The temple's destroyed or desecrated. And on the wing of the abomination shall come the one who makes desolate until the degree is poured out on the desolator. Daniel talks about it. Paul also talks about it. He says that we will see a 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says this, Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, and the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be who? God. There is a real Antichrist who's going to come. He is going to go to a real Jerusalem. He's going to sit in a real temple on a real throne, and he is really going to declare himself who? And that's the moment in which the Jews know. That's the moment in which the Jews realize they've been duped. They believe the lie. They understand that this is the son of perdition. It's a reality check for a moment. Can somebody in our time period come from absolute obscurity to popularity in less than a three and a half year period? Remember Boris Yeltsin? Who was he in the Cold War? Nobody. But Ronald Reagan knew who he was. And in, three and a, in, in less than three and a half years, Boris Yeltsin dismantled the Russian Confederation, the Soviet Union. Barack Obama came from where? A senator in Illinois. 
two-term president of the United States. Donald Trump, wealthy billionaire. All of a sudden, world recognition in what? Four years. You know what? We're living in a time in which people's popularity can increase in a moment. There are YouTube sensations that are happening right now. Millions of followers. Message, your message can go out into the world in a heartbeat. Remember, Hitler did it in a time where it was really tough. But now, you can be a rock star in an instant. You can be heard in a moment. By the way, how many of you knew who Vladimir Zelensky was just two years ago? And yet, if I say Vladimir Zelensky, who is he? He's the president of Ukraine. You would have never known that name, but today in our world, in the 24-7 news world, you can be known and you can be known in a hurry. So what starts the tribulation? What starts this time period? Well, it's a covenant between Israel and the Antichrist. Daniel 9.27, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for a half a week. He shall put an end to the sacrifice. What's a half a week? Half a seven. Three and a half. Three and a half years in, there's peace. And then all of a sudden, something happens that sparks absolute chaos on the earth. Matter of fact, it goes from the day of the Lord to the great day of the Lord in the Old Testament. And it is an outpouring of God's wrath after this happens, this event. And we know that it's the abomination of desolation. Look, and on the wing of the abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree is poured out on the desolator. The Antichrist will be the ruler of much of the world and what may be a revived Roman Empire. He'll make a covenant with Israel that'll guarantee their safety and somehow he'll allow them to rebuild their temple. But in the process of rebuilding it, he desecrates it and ending the sacrifices that are given in that temple. Now, reality check again. Let's talk about this. To have a covenant with Israel has only been possible in the last 70 years. It wasn't until 1948 that Israel received and became a nation And we have seen Israel once again become a nation and that Jews are continuing to flock to that country as an indication that we are getting closer and closer to the end of days. I mentioned it earlier, but 6.8 million Jews reside in Israel today, the borders of Israel today. The Bible says there's going to be the rise of 144,000 Jews known as evangelists, Revelation 7 13 or at 7 3 through 14 talks about 144,000 Jews 12,000 from each tribe will come to believe, come to belief in Jesus and as their savior and they will warn others they will tell their people to trust in Jesus Christ one of God's main purposes during this time was to turn the attention back to the Jews and their eyes would be open to who Jesus the Messiah was they've been looking for their savior but they missed him and now they're going to see him These evangelists, the Jews, will not just evangelize among the Jews, but Revelation 7, 9 says this, And I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no number can number, that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. What people groups are going to be evangelized during the tribulation? All. Who is the Great Commission given to? Who is salvation available to? All. At the same time, these Jewish evangelists, there's another sign that Jesus is going to give, and that's the appearance of the two witnesses. Revelation 11, 3 through 6, it says, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, 
clothed in sackcloth. These are two olive trees, two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out of their mouth and consumes their foes. And if anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn on the blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. It's kind of cool. I mean, think of that. Yeah. Unless you're on the receiving end of that. But they're empowered by who? By God. These two witnesses will be on the earth for 1,260 days. Who gave us that number? Anybody know 1,260 days? How long is that? Three and a half years. Exactly half a week of years. Exactly half of the tribulation period. And whoever these two witnesses are, whether it be Moses and Elijah or somebody else, it doesn't matter who they are. What matters is that they are. And what are they preaching? Believe in Jesus the Messiah. Now, during the tribulation, this whole time, there's opportunities for people to believe in Jesus Christ. Some will, but many don't. So now God's judgment is poured out on all men. The reason that this is a time of great tribulation and distress is because God is pouring out his wrath and judgment on the earth. Much of the book of Revelation discusses these judgments known as the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. These are judgments that affect much of the nature and the world, the systems of the world, and the landmass and waters of the world. During this time of tribulation, there are natural disasters such as has never been seen before. Man, we think Hurricane Ian was something. Imagine a tidal wave so large it just destroys cities from an earthquake. Earthquake, wars, pollution of the waters. Nordstrom 2 right now is bubbling in the midst of uh, the Baltic Sea, isn't it? Natural disasters caused by man, natural disasters caused by God. At one point, a third of the remaining population will be killed. That could be up to 2 billion people. Think about that. These judgments are severe, but they're also the last opportunity for people to turn from wickedness. Even in the midst of God's wrath, there's grace. So I have two questions for us this morning. Number one, has there been a time where you received Jesus as your Savior? That is this. Has there been a time in your life where you surrendered your will for His will? Your thoughts for his thoughts, your ways for his ways. Because if there hasn't been a time, then the problem with understanding what the Bible says is we know exactly what we're getting into. Listen to what John 1.12 says, but to him, but to all who received him, to them gave he the ability to become the children of God. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus or that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. So I ask you this morning, have you received Jesus as your Savior? Have you surrendered to him by believing who he is, God in the flesh, and that he died on a cross and rose again for you? If you believe that, then we can turn to him, confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to what? Forgive. 
you can be saved. You can receive the Savior today. But that doesn't give, that, that's hope, but there's, that's not the hope of the church today, is it? That's the hope for the lost, that they can be saved and become children of God. But what is the hope for the church today? That's where we started, right? What is the hope for the Christian? If life is just simply living, getting saved, and then the rest of it's just attending church, giving money to church, talking about Jesus every once in a while until the day that I die, how's that hope? Or is there something more to it? Why did God give us prophecy if we weren't going to be there? Why did he tell us what's going to happen in the future if none of us are going to be there? Because the reality is, if we're self-centered Christians, we'd, ask the question, we'd make the statement of what? Who cares? If I ain't going to be there, I don't care. Right? That's what self-centered Christianity would say. The problem is Christianity is not self-centered, it's other-centered. And if you're a Christian and you're here today, the tribulation should scare the fire out of us. Because that means there are people that you know in your life who are destined to go into eternity without a relationship with God. And you alone hold the the inoculation to help them. You know, you guys know my daughter Jacqueline's got diabetes. And if she was having a diabetic seizure or she was going low to where she was going to die, and there were those of you that saw her pump laying there, or you saw food or a tab laying there, and, and, and you didn't know what to do, you would sure figure it out real quick to try to save her life, wouldn't you? We locked down our country and the world to try to save people from dying through a thing called COVID. And yet there is a judgment much bigger and much greater that's on the horizon that we Christians know is coming. And today the church is less apt to tell anybody about it than any time in the church history. Is it because we don't care about others? Jesus did. He looked on the masses and was moved with compassion on them because they were sheep without what? Well, there's a lot of sheep not in sheepfolds today. There's a lot of sheep in the world that are caught up in thickets and fences and all kinds of places, and they might be here if they really knew about what the point was, but the problem is the church itself doesn't know what the point is anymore. And Jesus is sharing with who this message? Peter, James, John, his disciples? These aren't unbelievers. He's sharing the Olivet Discourse with who? Believers. And he's trying to motivate them to warn others what's going to happen in the future. And that the center of their religion is going to be destroyed. And when the center focal point of their religion is destroyed, they got a real question to ask real quick. Are we going to stand up and represent or are we going to hide? And you know, in our society today, as the churches get smaller, believers become fewer. And the generations are dying off of those that grew up with church as the center point of their life. Now the world has everything to offer except for answers. It'll entertain and it'll distract, but it doesn't answer the question, why am I here? But guess what the hope of the Christian is? We know why we're here. If God wanted us simply to inhabit heaven, when you received Jesus as Savior, you would have been gone. 
But the reason you're here today is because God didn't want you just to receive Jesus as, as your Savior. He wanted you to warn others not to come to this place. Doesn't that, that phrase sound familiar? God, God, God left you here because somebody requested that somebody go back from the dead and warn people not to come to a place. Not to follow a certain person. Not to be deceived. He had all the goods of the world. And this other guy had nothing. He was a beggar. He had nothing. But yet, the one who was rich became poor. And the one who was poor became rich because of who he knew, not because of where he was. And the request was, send somebody back from the dead to warn them not to come to this place. And what did Jesus Christ do? He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, and he left Israel who rejected him, and now he chose the church to represent him, to warn people so they don't go where? Fulfill a prophecy. The rich man lifting up his eyes, being in torments, cried out, send somebody to warn. And what did Jesus do? He sent two groups of people to warn. The first one understood the message and rejected it. The second one didn't understand the message, but got the message because they received the Holy Spirit. And they've been empowered to go and tell the world, judgment's coming. And we are very much living in the days of Noah because we are living in the time in which we're warning of the judgment to come. And there is a seven-year period hanging just on the horizon of the world. And is our world ripe for it right now? Are there wars and rumors of wars? Is there pestilence in the world? Do we need to feed the hungry? Do we need to help the sick and the dying? Do you need to wear three masks to protect your neighbor? Are we living in fear of death when the reality is we've been granted everlasting? The irony of that? You can't kill an everlasting life. But if this life is all you're living for, it is very much what? Temporal. And you only got one shot, so you better make it work. But if you're a Christian and you believe in everlasting life, this world is not the end. It's simply the beginning. This is death for the Christian's commencement. It's the beginning of eternity. But for those who are perishing, it is certain death. There is no hope. So we as Christians have been given this passage of Scripture to remind us that we have a mission, we have a purpose, and there is a cause for us to go into all the world and share the hope that's within us. The problem is this. Either one, Christians today don't know the Bible, or number two, the world, we, are so, we are more afraid of the world than we are of God. So we don't share. Think about that. So two things this morning. We need to be living for the glory of God obediently and recognize the reason he has left us here to be obedient to him so that we can share the good news of Jesus with others. So this morning, I want you to think of somebody close to you. And I want you to pray for him this week. And I want you to look for opportunities this week to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. You know, we live in a town where everybody talks about church. They talk about how much they like this church or that church and this and that. And you know what? If, if pastors and churchgoers talk more about their church 
than they do the Jesus behind the church. The church is their idol. Think about that. If we talk about our church and what our church does or, or what it doesn't do more than we talk about the Jesus of the church, then we are worshiping the church more than the person for the church. We have idols that have been set up in front of us. And you know what? We live in a day and age where we want to follow a preacher, where we want to follow a message, we want to follow a, a, a building and a group of people. But who is following Jesus Christ today? Jesus said it himself, if I didn't tarry, would anybody be watching? We know that there's a falling away when he comes back. I ask you this, how's the church doing and looking? How's the church doing and witnessing? And how's the church doing in power? Because when we see the decline of the church, guess who's on the horizon? A savior in white apparel who's going to come in a cloud and a trumpet will be the warning. Are we living in the days of Noah? I think so. I think we're very much living right on the precipice of the rain starting to fall, the cloud getting dark, and the return of Jesus Christ maybe very soon. We live in a world in which there's despair, there's unhappiness, there's worry, there's fretting, there's conniving, there's a, there's a hatred towards Christianity, and all these things are, are what Jesus said would happen before the end would happen. I'm not going to set a date because I already, <laughs> we already talked about that. I'm not going to worry about that kind of stuff. But it said, did say, consider the fig tree, didn't it? How many think it could snow in three weeks? Why do you think that? It's happened before. The trees are changing colors and it's gotten colder significantly, right? And because you can see those things, you know the potential for snow is less or greater. And when you see the church falling away, you see the governments conniving against the people of God, you see Israel the object of animosity, you hear of wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, disease, famine, and you see an anemic, weak church. Aren't those colorful leaves changing? Guess what's on the horizon? The coming of Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. Yeah, 119 years they said that about Noah and the flood too. And then year 120, what happened? And there was no saving him. We live in the days of Noah, folks. There is hope. We have hope. We have answers. We don't live as defeated people. We live as those who have everlasting life. Do we believe that? Amen? Then let's go live it this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is quick and powerful. I thank you that it gives us hope. I thank you that we don't have to twist scripture. We don't have to go to different passages. We can simply read your word for what it says and know what it means. And Father, I just pray this morning that as you've been faithful and true in every facet of creation, in every time period with all peoples and all times, as your truth has endured all the different varieties of people and thoughts and things like that, as your word has stood those tests of time, that Father, again, your word will prevail and show itself to be wholly accurate, wholly true, and the perfect will concerning you in the future. And Lord, I pray that we would read it, that we would heed it, we would understand it, as the scripture says, that we would have understanding. And Father, as we live in a time period in which it seems like evil is winning, Lord, may we not be overcome with evil as you warned in the passage, but may we overcome evil with the truth and with good. 
And Lord, you have placed us here for such a time as this. So Father, let us live with hope. Let us live with victory. Let us live with confidence that the world doesn't understand. Because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Father, help us to live that way. Help us to warn those who need to hear that there is judgment coming. There is a tribulation coming. There is a seven-year period in which your wrath is going to be poured out on this earth, such as the world has never seen. And Lord, we've seen some bad stuff in our time period. But yet there's something coming that is far worse. And Lord, as we hear of wars and rumors of wars, we hear of pestilence, disease, natural disasters caused by man, natural disasters allowed by you, Father, that we would understand that all these are just birth pains showing us that the end is coming. And as those contractions get tighter and tighter together, we understand that your return is closer and closer. So Father, may we be watching, may we be ready, and may we be serving for your glory. In your name we pray. All God's people said. Mm -hmm.